0: Chapter Five of Great Disasters and Horrors in the World's History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Miriam Spiegel. Great Disasters and Horrors in the World's History by Allen H. Godby. Chapter Five: The Louisville Tornado. At eve, along the calm, resplendent west i marked a cloud alive with fairy light so warmly pure so sweetly richly bright it seemed a spirit of ether floating blest in its own happy empire while possessed with admiration of the marvellous light slowly its hues opal and chrysolite waned on the shadowy gloaming's phantom breast the cloud became a terror whose dark womb throbbed with keen lightnings by destruction hurled red bolt on bolt while a drear ominous gloom enveloped nature o'er the startled world a deep alarm burst the thunder-boom and the swift storm his coal-black wings unfurled there is a perspective of news as well as of art which requires that such features in a view as are supposed to be nearest to the observer must be given larger detail it is a natural consequence of the fact that a small object nearby may conceal from view a mountain in the distance. So, in the news world, a dog run over on Washington Avenue takes rank with a wreck in the Indian Ocean. A fight in a neighboring saloon gets ten inches, a strike in Germany ten lines. Your neighbor's new barn is a good item for the country paper whose editor cares nothing for the new bank in Boston the Widow Jones gets a puff for whitewashing her fence, the refitting of the White House gets a line. A million of people who have heard of George Washington never heard of Alfred the Great. Now, not a few will think that there is injustice in this. Doubtless the tendency of the time is to exaggerate perspective to obtain startling effects. Caricature is characteristic of the age. And yet, there was never before a time when so many people took interest in things that lay beyond their own narrow circle even if that interest be from mere curiosity sometimes this self-centered condition of humanity has an amusing aspect as if one should imagine the earth terminated with his own apparent horizon some south sea islanders called the first white men who visited them skybreakers. the reason is simple dwelling on their little islets mere specks in the deep and in all their myths and legends having no account of any other race they supposed themselves to be the only people in the world their sky was a vast wall of blue stones raised by one of their mythical heroes it shut in the world and could not be far away thus none of them had endeavoured to reach it so these strange white creatures were not of this world neither were they of the race of the gods they came from no one knew where and had somehow broken through the blue wall that bounded the world and white men are in some islands called skybreakers to this day something of the same spirit is manifested by the chinese the devil of their mythology is white so our occidental sensibilities received quite a shock when we learned that we were foreign devils the japanese more considerately called us foreign beasts as though uncertain of our status in the animal kingdom and to this day our magnificent vessels are gravely styled devil ships by the chinese such are what might be appropriately styled ludicrous exaggerations of perspective and we of the west are similarly so wrapped up in our self-sufficiency that it hardly occurs to us that we may appear as amusing to foreigners as they to us in this respect our charity begins at home it is the way of the world but there are a thousand occurrences that make us feel that the principle is just no matter to what extremes we may foolishly carry it it comes home to each with peculiar emphasis in the hour of distress the famine in asia does not weigh upon you so heavily as the death of the woman who starved in the garret across the street a fire that burns chicago is easier forgotten than one which destroys the little home that represents the savings of years of your life the cholera in india has no such terrors for you as the diphtheria or scarlet fever in your own village the czar of russia is blown to pieces in his carriage but he has no remembrance at the bedside of your sick friend ten thousand dead victims of a distant earthquake are hidden by the coffin in your own home since the same law applies to the interests of nations it is not necessary in reviewing the work of destructive tempests to apologize for giving chief place to the recent louisville tornado however insignificant it may appear in comparison with scores of others that have desolated the earth in days gone by the latter shall be noticed in due time in the foregoing chapter we have seen that the great cyclones that occasionally visit us originate in the neighborhood of the antilles of course similar conditions may produce smaller storms of the same class in numerous localities these small storms whose paths are but a few yards or sometimes as much as a mile in diameter are called, to distinguish them from the great cyclone of twenty or two hundred miles in diameter, by the Portuguese title of tornadoes, or turning storms. Often the broken character of the country will cause a large gathering storm to break up into half a dozen or more of the smaller ones, which in their narrow paths are as destructive as the cyclone it is the unexpected that happens no one experiences so many surprises or has more pet beliefs upset than that oracle of the chimney-corner the oldest inhabitant it was long believed that tornadoes never passed over an old indian camp-ground whatever the popular opinion of savage intellect there is marvellous confidence in his instinct again it was thought a tornado never would pass over a large city the storm in question demolished both these old wives tales during march twenty seventh eighteen ninety the signal service department observed a threatening storm center gather in the southwestern portion of wyoming and start eastward with great rapidity notice was promptly given railway telegraph and electric light officials were warned that on thursday night a hurricane would blow with a speed of at least fifty miles an hour signal service predictions had sometimes failed and this last one excited no particular concern the destroyer came and was gone in two minutes and blocks on blocks of louisville were a ghastly ruin the tornado was accompanied by a cloud and tremendous rain to an observer at the falls the cloud was seen to come up the gap between the hills which guard the banks of the beautiful ohio he described it as balloon-shaped twisting an attenuated tail to the earth it emitted a constant fusillade of lightning and seemed to be composed of a lurid snake-like mass of electric currents, whose light would sometimes be extinguished for a few moments, making an almost intolerable darkness. It was accompanied by a fearful roar, like that of a thousand trains crossing the big bridge at once. It could be seen to strike Louisville, and then, with incredible rapidity, it leaped the river, churning it into white foam as it went toward the Indiana shore. The streets of louisville parallel to the river are named those at right angles are numbered from east to west the section visited may be described as a rectangle a mile square bounded on the west by eighteenth street on the east by seventh on the south by broadway and on the north by the ohio river it comprehends the business portion of the city through this district the cyclone swept diagonally from southwest to northeast crossing the river and leaving the city at the foot of seventh street the business houses or residence of perhaps ten thousand people lay in its path two days after the storm when there had been time for a calm survey its track is thus described by a correspondent of the associated press it first descended upon the beautiful little suburb of parkland southwest of the city destroying many private residences the loss of life was inconsiderable at this initial point however rushing onward toward the northwest it lifted for a moment above the trees and housetops and descended again a mile further on at Maple and 18th Streets. From this on its pathway is clearly marked. At no time did the base of the funnel touch the ground, and 100 feet higher in the air it would have passed by without doing comparatively much damage. The ruins, as they now are often, show the first and even the second and third stories of buildings still intact with the roofs and higher stories swept away except in places where the debris from the upper floors crushed into the lower and brought the walls down to the ground in total collapse from maple to eighteenth streets it went northward one block then west at an angle another block and then curving to the northeast as far as magazine and thirteenth streets a quick change to the north is perceptible here and after traveling in that direction two blocks another turn to the west an acute angle was then made the line turning from fifteenth street northeast to thirteenth street again thence due east to tenth street and north a block to market street at thirteenth and jefferson streets it swept through baxter park doing great damage and a block eastward destroyed st john's episcopal church in the rectory of which the rev s e barnwell and his little sons were crushed and burned to death the rest of the family escaping st john's church is in the street immediately in the rear of the ill-fated falls city hall the eccentric monster went on eastward past the falls city hall without touching it and then as if suddenly recollecting it swept around the block and started westward on the south side of market street had the change of direction been made a trifle sooner or later falls city hall would have escaped and the dead been numbered within thirty or forty at the most as if satisfied with the work accomplished, it turned north again and struck Main Street. This thoroughfare is the principal business street in the city. It runs parallel with the river from east to west, and but a block south of it. It is lined with wholesale houses, and was the solidest part of the city in point of architecture. The tornado reached Main Street at 12th, and then shaped its course directly east, down the middle of the broad street, sweeping away the solid stores and warehouses on both sides. From 12th to 7th Streets on Main, it is a wholesaling district, and it was practically untenanted at that hour. Had the storm come in the daytime and taken the same direction, hundreds who were at their houses and escaped unhurt would have been killed. At 7th Street and Main, the buildings change in their character. The big Louisville Hotel is on Main between 6th and 7th, and east of the hotel are restaurants, saloons and other hotels which contained thousands of people at that hour the tornado chased down main street carrying everything before it passing eleventh street tenth ninth eighth and seventh a block further and the louisville hotel with its hundreds of tenants would have been reached the escape of the hotel is the strangest incident of all adjoining it on the west from whence the storm came was a three-story building used as a saloon on the first floor and occupied in the upper stories as sleeping apartments for the hotel servants. This three-story building, right under the east wall of the hotel, was totally demolished, and not a timber left a dozen feet higher than the ground. Its inmates were killed. The great hotel shook from roof to cellar with the force of the shock, but it was spared. The storm veered at the sharpest kind of an angle to the north again, crossed Main Street, and struck for the river, taking in the Union Depot on the way strange to say although the depot was totally demolished only one person was killed there at the point where the tornado crossed the river between new albany and jeffersonville it is supposed several small crafts were sunk reaching the opposite bank of the river the storm turned to the east again and took off a bite from jeffersonville it went along front street for a few blocks damaging buildings but causing no loss of life then it took to the river and struck the kentucky shore about four miles east of where it left it and outside the city of louisville at this exact spot is located the louisville pumping works which supplies the whole city with water the pumping works were destroyed and the city is now threatened with a water famine in consequence the next herd of the peculiar course taken by the tornado is from eminence kentucky about forty miles east of louisville which was badly damaged by the storm the intervening country may have suffered somewhat, but no other towns were visited, and from eminence the destroyer probably took a final leave of the earth's surface and passed on to the Atlantic coast at a higher and less dangerous altitude. This outline seems to show how easily the course of a storm is modified by the irregularities of surface, even when the obstacles are such as it can overcome. It is seen that the course of a small storm over broken country little resembles the steady curve of the storm in the open sea. Ever and anon, the obstacles below momentarily break the regular current, which is often renewed in a moment by the powerful upward suction in the upper air. This is the phenomenon known as jumping, which may be repeated till the widening of the center leaves the storm too weak to promptly restore the current at the ground, and the danger from the tornado is over some of the apparent eccentricities in the city are doubtless due to the fact that occasional buildings were strong enough to resist and leaving such at slight variations in its course made it present the appearance of doubling on its track so many blocks of buildings great and small in an instant violently hurled to pieces would seem to infer with certainty the death of nearly all the occupants that only about a hundred should have been killed outright was therefore a matter of astonishment no less of gratitude the terror and anguish of the first moments or hours could not however be measured by the actual calamity to human life members of households suddenly separated from each other in the darkness could only fear the worst their startled imagination saw the missing one dead or dying under the huge piles of fallen buildings there were excited cries and calls and wailing of the living a mad rush and frantic tugging at the ruins from beneath which were sometimes heard shrieks for help or groans of the dying to add to the universal terror fires broke out in many places threatening imprisoned wretches with a fate more horrible than the crush of falling walls or timbers bricks or iron hurtling through the air before help could reach them the flames took hold on some and hushed their cries forever fortunately the fire alarm connections were left intact and as alarm after alarm was sent there was a dashing of the engines to the rescue and the whole fire department was presently engaged in extinguishing the flames or recovering the living and the dead. Hospitals and morgues were suddenly improvised in sheds or shops, where the wounded were cared for, or the dead were deposited to await the recognition or claim of the living. Fall City Hall was the theatre of the principal loss of life. It was a brick building fronting a market between 11th and 12th. The ground floor had long been used as a market, and contained forty or fifty stalls of gardeners and butchers, these stalls were closed, and the keepers were absent at that hour of the disaster. In front on the second floor were three small rooms, one of them utilized as an office, the other two as toilet rooms. Behind these was a large hall, and in the rear of this still another hall, in which a young lady, her father, brother, and sister being present, was teaching a dancing school. There might have been sixty-five persons in this room, though one eyewitness says twenty-eight. In one of the small rooms, seven men, constituting the executive committee of the Roman Knights, was holding a business meeting. In another room, a band of musicians, 15 in number, were going through a rehearsal. Some decorators were at work in the large hall, preparing it for some coming occasion. On the third floor were assembled the Jewel Lodge number 2 of the Knights and Ladies of Honor, with an attendance of a hundred or more. In an adjoining hall, the Humboldt Lodge number 146 of IOOF, with seventeen members, was in session. The whole number of people in the building must have been nearly or quite two hundred. In an instant the fearful wrench of the cyclone had twisted the building into fragments and tumbled it in shapeless ruin upon the inmates. Ten minutes after the collapse might have been seen a frantic multitude hastily gathering from all quarters, among them many women clutching vainly with their fingers at the slate roof and madly tearing at the wreck, beneath which the imprisoned and wounded were crying for help. Presently fire broke out, but it was happily extinguished. The work of rescue was now organized and speedily set in motion, but an hour elapsed before the first victim was extricated. This was a lady, found sitting upright with bruised head and broken arm. She told of her vain effort to escape, and of the position in which she had last seen her companions. Meanwhile, some were digging in the center of the debris in answer to a voice which grew fainter and fainter until it was hushed forever. The work of rescue was now shifted to the other end of the pile. James Hassan was foremost among the workers, and on reaching the hall-room of the knights and ladies, he took from the ruins the first body, which proved to be that of his wife, and who expired in his arms. He gently laid his dead wife aside, and hurried again to aid in recovering the rest. Presently ten women were reached clasped in each other's arms all dead but one the dancing-room was reached one lady was taken out fatally hurt and one after another her three children unconscious but destined to recover while her husband was urging the rescue of his fourth child still somewhere beneath the ruins an undercurrent of air having been admitted the fire again broke out with startling fierceness and the furious heat compelled a suspension of the work the groans of the imprisoned were now changed to fearful shrieks, while the watchers, helpless to render aid, screamed and ran wildly about with anxiety and horror. Three or four lines of hose were turned upon the flames, and they were subdued. But an hour, in which probably many a life went out, had been lost from the work. By twelve o'clock many dead and wounded had been removed from the ruins. The dead were largely in the majority. Many of these exhibited no outward wounds and had been apparently suffocated by gas escaping from broken pipes. But the reader may be spared further details of the recovery at Falls City Hall. Suffice it to say that two days were required to remove the wreck and demonstrate the precise extent of the calamity. On this spot, about 80 persons had lost their lives. The narratives of some of the survivors will serve to show that while the tornado comes without warning, the heaviest wind is not just at first and a cool head may sometimes profit by the interval to escape sailors have a saying that the tail of a gale is the strongest a young man who was taken from the wreck of the hall says i was dancing when a flash of lightning followed by a crash made me think that the lightning had struck some part of the rear of the building the next moment the big doors that enter into the big hall in front flew open i continued dancing and cried to some of the boys to close the doors they did so and were bolting them when they were again forced open with such a force as to knock down everybody around them then the window-sashes were blown in and the building commenced rocking i saw that the house was about to fall and i hallooed the walls will go next i ran into the dressing-room and i think most of the girls follow me i got under a table and held fast to the legs thinking that i might be saved in that way then the walls began crumbling and the lights went out and the floor descended like an elevator the crash stunned me for a moment, but finally a flash of lightning showed me a hole in the debris through which I might have crawled had not my leg been pinioned between some timbers. There were people all around me, and they were crying for help, but there was no one to aid us. I tugged and strained, but I could not get loose. Finally I heard my father's voice and answered him, and directly he crawled down the hole. It took him three-quarters of an hour to extricate me, and then we both crawled out. If there had been help at once, we might have saved others— as I knew about where they all were, but they were more or less hurt. That less than half of those in the building should have been killed is a matter of wonder. The manner of individual escapes can only be inferred from one or two more which we subjoin. One of the lady members of the Lodge of the Knights and Ladies of Honor relates, I went to attend the lodge meeting, and when all were present the calamity came. There must have been about seventy-five people in the room at the time of the tornado. Some of them were able to get out before the building fell in. The first intimation we had of what was coming was the flash of lightning and the beating of hail against the windows. The wind howled, and I heard a fearful roaring noise. The people became frightened and hurriedly gathered their wraps together. All were fearful of impending danger. Just at this moment I saw a round hole blown through the wall, immediately above one of the windows. The gas went out, and I saw another round hole appear in the roof through this i saw lightning play with awful grandeur this natural light was all that relieved the gloom and darkness i heard one of the trustees of the lodge call out to all the people to go out quickly and in a body he cried out not to rush as someone would be killed if they did then i knew no more until i became conscious and found that i was partly embedded in bricks and timbers i felt blood running down my neck and became aware that i had been struck on the head by a brick or timber I extricated myself, and by the flashes of lightning made my way over the terrible mass of debris and dead bodies toward the front. I saw a man making his way down the pile of bricks to the street, and I followed. When I reached the sidewalk, I was aided to a neighboring store by a lodge trustee. I don't know how he made his way out. I heard cries for help as I came out, but I had barely strength to move and could not help others. A thrilling experience was that of another member of the same lodge his estimate of the attendance larger than the foregoing is yet materially exceeded by others he says the first intimations of danger we had were two distinct rockings of the building about which time a dormer window in the lodge-room was blown from its casings and immediately after the plastering began to drop from the ceiling a wild rush was made for the anteroom which carried me with it and i had just reached the door when the entire floor gave way and we were precipitated to the basement blinded and almost suffocated by a cloud of dust, and crushed and jammed by falling timbers. In some way the door-frame fell with me and maintained an upright position when it stopped, and I was enabled to extricate myself from the debris and make an exit to the street through an adjoining house, whose doors I kicked in. Meanwhile the shrieks and groans of those still imprisoned by the wreck formed a chorus that, in connection with the howling of the storm, made me very heartsick. I was— so far as hasty examination went, comparatively uninjured, and at once returned over the ruins with several men to the rear of the place and extinguished a fire that had begun to blaze fiercely. By this time the rain was falling in torrents, and it was difficult for those who had gathered from the neighborhood or who had been as lucky as I was to escape with life to tell where to begin the work of rescue. The vivid lightning flashes gave only momentary views of the position of the ruins, and blinded everybody among those whom i saw and recognized as having escaped from jewel lodge i can name only the treasurer who was covered with dust drenched with rain and well-nigh distracted by the probable fate of her aged father who had attended the lodge meeting with her and who was still in the ruins the entire building collapsed in front and rear and of the east and west side walls nothing was standing above the second story so far as i could judge when i had succeeded in escaping there were at least a dozen all told who got out unhurt, and the cries for help and groans that issued from the broken and twisted heap was proof that scores were still there, unable to escape. The Union Depot was utterly demolished. An officer of the Louisville Southern Road relates the story. Quite a crowd of people were present waiting for trains. Mr. Woodward of the Monon Railroad was near me, and I had been talking to him. The wind was blowing strong and seemed to increase in power, we heard a dull moaning in the distance, and the glass in the windows of the depot was shattered, although the first puff was merely the advanced guard of the tornado. The people became alarmed. One man started to rush into the ticket office, but the ticket seller pushed him back. Mr. Woodward and I also started for the ticket office. Just at this moment the tornado, like a clap of thunder, struck the depot. The building gave way and tumbled in upon us. I was just at the door of the ticket office when it went down. I fell and a man standing near me fell across me. A heavy girder fell on top of him. Mr. Woodard was only a few feet away. I never lost consciousness. I spoke to Mr. Woodard, and he replied. We both thought we could get out alive if the depot did not catch fire. We knew that there had been stoves with fire burning in them in the depot before the tornado struck it, and I expected the flames to break out at every moment. I spoke to the man who was lying across me and told him that he must manage to squeeze from under the girder, I thought that if he was off me, I could manage to get out. After many desperate efforts, he managed to get from under the girder, but in doing so his bowels were torn so terribly that the doctors do not think he can recover. He was a brakeman, who had come here to be a witness in some case. I do not remember his name. After the brakeman got off me, I was able to use my strength. Then I got out, and so did Mr. Woodard. I was under the wreck just thirty-five minutes. I was slightly bruised in the arm and leg, but that amounts to nothing though forty or fifty persons were in the depot at the time only one a restaurant boy was killed twenty-one passenger-coaches were more or less wrecked on following days the impression of the ruins upon the beholder was peculiarly gloomy instead of the stir of life the brilliancy of electric lights the scream of whistles and the rumbling of trains there was a scattered wreck and a comparative silence a few chickens liberated from their coop crept at dust to roost on a timber and in subdued tones, seemed to be discussing with each other the mournful situation. End of chapter 5